Hello, guys, and welcome back to another episode of the Master Your Mental Podcast. If you are new here, my name is Paris, and I am the creator and host of the Master Your Mental Podcast. I'm so happy to have you here to tune in and hear my amazing guests and I describe the ways we can leverage and shift our mindsets to take the best possible care of our mental health. I launched the podcast as a way to motivate, inspire, empower, and educate people on these interesting topics. My background and passion for this all stemmed from the field of psychology. After completing both my BA in psychology and my MBA in healthcare administration, my passion for mental health only continued to grow. As a result of this, I launched Master Your Mental to bring more awareness, tips, and conversations to the table about these topics. You guys might be wondering, what does the mental stand for? Well, it stands for mindset, engagement, nutrition, talk about it, accountability, and love yourself. These are all the building blocks that make up what Master Your Mental is all about. If you would like to learn more, become a guest, or connect, feel free to reach out to me by shooting me a message on any one of my social media platforms you guys can find in the link in my bio on my Instagram at master your mental. Now let's get into the episode guys. Hey guys, and welcome to this week's episode of the master your mental podcast. As you guys can tell, we are going to be getting into all things, emotional eating on this episode. And I'm very much looking forward to this because I have a very cool guest for you guys. Just had the best conversation with this person who I'm going to be introducing you to in just a moment. But before I go ahead and dive into that, I want to let you guys know a little bit more about why I wanted to create this episode and a little bit about what you can expect from tuning in today. So I know this episode is about emotional eating, and we're actually going to be talking about how this relates to our mental health and the role that trauma plays in emotional eating and all the things that we can do to work on this relationship with ourselves and start to pour more into ourselves, the role of self-compassion, what the subconscious has to do with all this stuff as well. And there are so many incredible tips, very helpful points, and a very powerful story shared by my guest who is going to be coming on here in just a moment. But this topic is something that I have not actually gotten into yet. And you know me, I always want to get new things for you guys, new content all related to mental health and mindset. And this topic I thought would be so important and so powerful because I know this is something that a lot of people can probably relate to in some aspect, whether you have struggled with this yourself, or you know, someone who is, who's dealing with this, or you have some kind of relationship with emotional eating and you're just, or maybe you're just curious to learn more about what it is and how it can impact our mood, our mindset, our mental health, all of these things. And also the ways that we can tap into improving this and really uncovering the things that have led to this and led to struggles with this area. So I love that because you know that I always love to bring solutions to the table for you guys, tips to help with all of these things, instead of just focusing on the issue or the problem. Problem. I love to bring that forward for you guys to tap more into what can we do about this? How can we address this? And how can we get the most possible value out of this? And this is what we're going to be getting into in this episode. So I hope that you guys enjoy this one and that you love it as much as I've loved creating it for you guys. So let's go ahead and get into it. 
Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Master Your Mental podcast. Today's topic is all about emotional eating. I am bringing on my awesome guest, Jonathan McLaurin. Did I say your name right? Uh, McLaurin. So I say McLaurin. If McDonald's had a school and I was a student, I'd be McLernan. Jonathan McLernan, to get into what this is this is, and how it ties in with our mental health. Jonathan is actually an expert emotional eating coach who has lost and kept off 100 pounds, you guys. He is passionate about behavioral psychology and brain-driven weight loss, which he teaches his clients. I'm so excited to have Jonathan here with us today to get into his story and this topic today. So without further ado, welcome Jonathan to the podcast. All right. Thank you for having me. Of course. I'm so excited to chat with you because just before we got on here, we were talking a little bit about how this is actually something that we have not covered yet on the show. We haven't gotten into emotional eating and, you know, what is it, how does it relate to mental health? What impact does it have and how to understand it and work through that? And so of course we got you here who is going to get into the story and tips and tricks and all those things. So I'd love, you can just give us a little bit more info about you and tell us more about yourself before we go ahead and dive on in on this. Yeah. So I've had a really varied background. Um, I was a nanotechnology researcher um, at university. I was a marine engineer for six years in the Navy. Uh, I'm a four-time entrepreneur. I have two business failures in the background. Um, I spent three years as a globetrotting English teacher as well. And uh, so it was kind of around my travels. So my wife and I, we, yeah, we, we decided not to buy a house and we decided to travel the world instead. And uh, during that time, it's kind of when I, I went from being athletic to morbidly obese. And it was as a result of like a trauma that I went through about 10 years ago when I was living in South Africa. And that, that began my own journey with weight loss. And, you know, prior to that, I would say I would have thought that anyone who was overweight was just like lazy or, or undisciplined. But after going through my own traumatic experience, uh, I was turning to food as a coping mechanism because I really had no, no tools to deal with trauma. And I was still living in that traumatic situation in South Africa. And so here I am kind of trying to wade into this, this murky world of weight loss and, and diet culture. Um, and this, this, uh, this journey actually spanned probably six or seven years. So, you know, sometimes people ask, uh, well, how long did it take you to lose 100 pounds? And sort of written into that question is also this, what did you do? Can you give me a template? You know, did you intermittent fast? Did you go keto? Did you, you know, cut out carbohydrates? Like, like what, what did you do? And I think sometimes people are surprised by the, the answer because I say, I learned self-compassion and it's not the answer they're looking for because like, well, that's, that's <laughs> not, an, that's not an instruction manual for me, you know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I think it's, it's important to understand we, you know, for me, I, I tried so many different diets and I wasted a ton of time and energy trying to find, I say, trying to find answers like in, in all the wrong places. And it was when I hired a coach uh, back in about 2017 and he, I said, he shone a light on this glaring problem that was staring back at me. Um, it was my relationship to myself. So because of all of my failed attempts to lose weight, I'd really actually become very angry and almost like uh, spiteful towards my body. And it was like I was trying to, I'd repeatedly tried to punish it into submission, you know, force it to, to lose the weight because I, I saw the extra weight that I was carrying as the source of all of my unhappiness. And, and that, that made me really angry towards my own body. So he worked with me to heal my relationship with myself and really by extension with food. And that created this just incredible, like say, paradigm shift that I could actually treat myself with love 
and compassion and lose weight. Wow. I, I love the fact that you mentioned, you know, bringing up the point of what that coach has taught you in terms of healing that relationship with yourself. And when you brought up, especially the impact of the trauma that you experienced, right. You said in South Africa, mm -hmm, yeah, right. So having that, and then almost looking at yourself and your body and really having that as something that is damaging the relationship with yourself. And almost like you said, being mad at your body for not being able to, you know, after trying all these things, doing all this stuff, and also kind of tying that into what you said of, you know, your, your past opinion on people who were overweight and thinking, you know, why don't you just, you know, work out more? Why don't you just make, make <laughs> yeah. more time for this? Or, you know, it's, it, sh it should be simple, right? It should be like a simple kind of system that we could follow to make this work. But after you had your own experience with that, it really just opens your eyes up to the reality of it's not just easy as like snapping your fingers and all right, I'm going to, you know, implement these habits and just, you know, try to see if this works. And that's amazing because I feel like now you have you have that experience and you have the understanding. So now you're so much more able to assist others with this instead of just being like, you know, have you tried this or have you tried this yeah, thing yeah. or all of that? So, I mean, and especially when you're talking about brain driven weight loss, I'd love to get into that. So when you talk about brain driven weight loss, what do you mean by that? Yeah. So it's, it's a term that I've coined, I think I've never heard anyone else use it. Um, but really I want to shine a light on the fact that you're right in a sense. Yes, what we eat and, and how we choose to be active or not, that will influence like our weight and our health, but it's actually the brain that drives our decision-making and our actions. And if we look at like so many attempts to create change or transformation and, and to create weight loss, for example, they really take this outside in approach. I'm going to impose these rules on you that you have to follow starting today. And our brain is not wired to adopt that, that amount of change at one moment in time. And we're, we're, so our brain will actually unconsciously try to drive us back to our old patterns of behavior that feel familiar because too much change actually feels overwhelming, even if we think we can handle it in the beginning. Because in the beginning, what happens when we, we let's say I'm going to embark on a weight loss journey and I'm thinking, okay, I want to lose, I don't know, 40 pounds. In my brain, I'll start to picture how I'm going to feel and how I'm going to look when I lose that 40 pounds. So in my head, I've created this picture and my brain starts to reward me with a, a chemical called uh, dopamine as though I've already accomplished that result. Now, I haven't done anything in the real world yet, but that, that surge in dopamine has a purpose. What it does is it gets me over my fear of change, right? It helps me to overcome my natural biological resistance to change. Now, we mistake that in thinking this should be motivation or something that keeps us going uh, for long term because when that, that dopamine will die off deliberately because if, if, if you, your brain can't keep you high all the time. If it did, ordinary mm -hmm. life would just become depressing. Mm -hmm. And so... So when we try to take this outside in approach of imposing all of this change all at once, very quickly, we're going to figure out that we can't maintain that. And the truth is we have to look at our internal environment, you know, our emotions, our mindset, our psychology, and our habits. This is what most powerfully influences our behavior and ultimately the results we get. And to, to dive almost like a layer deeper, a lot of our actions take place at the, the subconscious or the, the unconscious level. Uh, not the least of which because our brain will actually form habits from repeated behaviors. Now, we think if our behaviors are driven by our habits, they're also affected by our emotions, our belief, and actually our sense of identity, so who we see ourselves to be. So to kind of tie this all together, to create permanent weight loss, we actually have to create a permanent internal change. And we can really only do this by establishing a new pattern of behaviors, new habits, but really more importantly, a new sense of identity. 
And for some people, that might actually sound scary. Like I have to become a new person in a sense. Mm -hmm. But our brain has this beautiful property called neuroplasticity, the ability to rewire itself. It's really incredible. And, and that can help us to do this. Wow. Just the way that you broke that down is extremely helpful and so valuable because I love how you tie that in with this, this concept of being able to rewire your identity, right? So the way that you currently see yourself, and I feel, I like how you also kind of mention of, you know, going back to like the dopamine when you're having this and you're on this journey and you're trying to do it and you're excited and you're like, okay, I'm going to do these new things. I'm going to do this and it's going to work and I'm going to, you know, lose these 40 pounds and look like this person that I have in my mind. But then of course, you know, that wears off. So what you said makes so much sense going back to how you see yourself internally with your thoughts, your habits, your emotions, and the subconscious level of that, which is hugely important. I actually just did a, did an episode on that yesterday about subconscious, because that's something that, and I feel like the beautiful thing about that is that it is possible to be rewired because I mm -hmm. feel like for so many, especially when you're in such a challenging moment and you're faced with so many obstacles and barriers in front of you, it can be easy to think, okay, like this is just who I am. You know, I can't change it. I've been mm -hmm. like this my whole life. Like this is just the way I have to stay. And I feel like when you start to get into how to change that mindset and start to pour into yourself. And of course, you know, it's definitely a process, you know, and I like oh, yeah. how you bring that up as well. You're not just like, okay, guys, like we're going to change all these things. <laughs> and like maybe a month from now, like it'll be good. It's like you, you talk about six years for you, right? Like a six yeah. year. Now I say to people, if I knew then what I know now, it wouldn't have taken six years. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I'm not, I'm not mad about that. I had to go on this journey of growth and development. And, and if you would have met me six years ago, you'd meet an entirely different person. Like physically, I, I, I look relatively the same, minus you know, hundred pounds of extra body fat. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. You know, and it's not that like I become, you become an unrecognizable person. It's more like you become the highest version, the best version of yourself. I think it's really important to understand that because maybe we get scared that if I create these changes, like I'm going to lose people in my life or, or, or things like that. And mm -hmm. while that may actually happen, because, you know, one of the other things that influences our behavior and choices are the people that we surround ourselves with, right? The environment. And that's just another element of sort of this, this brain-driven weight loss is really uh, looking at, at our relationships and the environment and how that also supports who we want to, who we want to become. But I also like to, you know, I like to try to understand, I say all behavior makes sense. So that doesn't mean that all behavior is good or all behavior is helpful, but it always makes sense if we understand how the brain works. So for example, we could ask, well, why are we attracted to quick fix fad diets? You know, it's 2021 and this is still happening mm -hmm. because we want to believe the promise. We want to believe, for example, that weight loss should be quick and easy. It's what we've been marketed to. So we've been sold for so many years, but you think, if it was fast and easy, we would have figured it out by now. We've been trying this for how many years, this whole quick fix, fast and easy. It is an attractive idea. And very few people want to acknowledge that the reality is, is that if you want to create, like, say, permanent weight loss, for example, it's really quite challenging because we have we have a lot that we're up against in terms of obstacles. Um, first of all, our own nervous system is hardwired to seek um, comfort and avoid pain and avoid suffering and difficulty. That Our, our primal nervous system is like that. But then... You could say like the essence of who we are, our, our soul is really hardwired to grow and develop and blossom. So we're kind of, we're kind of wrestling with this dynamic tension because it feels really good in one sense to remain inside our comfort zone. And yet you can't grow there. You can't change and transform. And so you feel the sense of this innate calling to like to do and to be better. And so I, I would also say 
I believe that we're probably more emotionally and mentally stressed uh, than ever before, even though physically we're actually less stressed. We just look at the, the biological reaction to the environment we live in, this digital environment where there's 24-7 news and negativity and social media and things like that. Like, And so we're, we're living with that along with unprecedented convenience. Well, our body doesn't, hey, if I can just push buttons on my phone and food gets delivered and I don't literally don't have to lift a finger until I walk to the door, we've won, biologically speaking, because for most of human history, we lived with famines and now we don't have that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I love how you talk about that aspect of food, especially with the convenience of it, because that really is so powerful. And something that I wanted to ask you too, related mm. to that is, so it, for you, how do you make eat, healthy eating faster and easier than fast food? <laughs> I, I like to say that um, I outsource my cooking to appliances. Mm -hmm. So- <laughs> Right. You think about the amount of time that you would spend, uh, let's say, in a drive-through, for example. The idea is it's more convenient because I'm basically just sitting in a chair and not doing anything. But I look at drive-through lineups, you know, in Canada here, and I'm like, they're a mile long. Mm -hmm. You're in there, you're idling your car, which you know I don't want to get an environmental impact of that. But like you're doing that, uh, you're probably spending more than you think to to buy that food. Now, you know, I I, I buy frozen vegetables for one. No mm -hmm. prep required. They're picked at peak ripeness and flash frozen, so they lock in their nutrient density. Like, you know, how long does it take to put some frozen vegetables in a glass tray and put it in the oven and walk away? How about a rice cooker? You know, where you can cook like rice quinoa. How long does it take to put a cup of rice and two cups of water and flick the switch and walk away? Right. I've, I've, I've got an air fryer. Put some frozen drumsticks in there, hit the, hit the switch and walk away. Like, so I could do these, say, and, and really I've just constructed a reasonably healthy meal. Let's say I put some rice in, in the rice cooker, some veggies in the oven, some, some chicken drumsticks in the air fryer. Well, I've already just put together a healthy meal. It probably took me five minutes to prep. I could walk away and do something for half an hour, come back and my food's ready. Mm -hmm. Wow. That see that I feel like ties into, especially with the, when we talk about the mindset of it, right. Cause when we talk mm -hmm. about convenience, like a lot of the times, you know, I feel like a lot of people have this thing where they're like, I want to lose weight, right? I want to mm -hmm. lose maybe it's like 10 pounds, 20 pounds, however much it is. But then, like you said, it's easier to stay comfortable, right? Inside that comfort zone of what you know. And it takes, you know, in a tremendous amount of work to really get out of that and to say, okay, um, you know, this isn't working, you know, what I'm doing isn't working and I'm continuing to do it. And just hoping that, you know, there might be a different result eventually, you know, down the road, but I feel like a sense of urgency is really important too. And especially when we talk about emotional eating, um, for you, I'd love to ask, you, you know, like what, what was the most helpful for you in terms of overcoming the habit that you'd establish with emotional eating. Right. Yeah. Cause uh, uh, for those who, I, I don't know if I mentioned it, but I was essentially a binge eating food addict for, for almost six years and, and binge eating is sort of uh, it's uncontrollable episodes of eating where it almost feels like you check out mentally. It's like this desperation to kind of escape. And so I would say some really simple things in a sense, and they're free. One was like slowing down. Mm. So, you know, um, I don't know if you've ever seen like a seagull swallow you know, a chunk of food that's way bigger than its head. And it's, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's really weird. But I used to eat food like that, where I was like desperately shoveling food in. And my wife used to put her hand on my shoulder and be like, you can take a breath, you know. Mm -hmm. So I was eating with this this urgency. Well, part of that was connected to, because I was overweight and really unhappy with, with being overweight, I felt, I looked at food in this really tortured way. Like, this food is going to make me fat. And yet this food gives me comfort. Mm -hmm. Like eat, eating this makes me feel better. Yet it's 
it's making the problem worse. And so really stuck in this kind of tortured situation. So my brain was like, the thing is, is you can't just necessarily take that away and leave a void there. Mm-hmm. There needs to be something. You need to understand what the brain is looking for in that moment that food really can't fill. Like binge eating, you ba- I basically you have to stop when I'm about ready to vomit. Mm-hmm. Um, but as soon as that happens, all of a sudden, like back comes the shame, the guilt, the regret, the discomfort, the, you know, and it, it wasn't the answer I was looking for. And so the the ability to kind of actually become present and say, what am I feeling right now? Like, can I, you know, I, ha- I have a guide called Crush Your Cravings, for example, and I walk people through this process called FAST. Um, and it stands for feel, um, acknowledge, accept, uh, speak, and time. So anytime that you feel this, this urge, you know, washing over you, it's like, take a moment and go, what am I feeling right now? Can I put words to it? Can I identify it? Where in my body is it? You know, so I, and, and not treating... Not treating an uncomfortable emotion like there's something wrong if it's there. So I like to say that emotions are, are like a, a check engine light. You know, that little yellow light that comes on on your dashboard. It doesn't tell you exactly what's wrong with your engine. It tells you something needs your attention. And mm-hmm. and you would normally, you'd say, bring it to a mechanic for a diagnosis. A lot of people, what they do is the equivalent of putting some black electrical tape over that check engine light. I can't see it. Therefore, it's not a problem. Well... Unfortunately, the problem still exists just because you've covered it up didn't mean it went away. And pretty soon that engine's going to going to explode. Mm-hmm. And for us, it's going to be as long as we keep sort of smothering and trying to bury these difficult emotions, they're going to keep coming back to the surface in the form of these, like for me, it was binge eating, for example. Mm-hmm. And I, I love how you just broke that entire concept down. Cause I feel like when you're, when you're talking about like you, you tied that in of you would eat the food and then you would look at the food as something that was continuing to perpetuate the problem that you were having. But this is also a thing that's making me feel better. So it's kind of like good and bad, but you'll yeah. take, you'll take the, you'll take the good with it, even though there's bad because you, you want that feeling of feeling better. So I'd love to ask you, like, what, what did you discover? Cause I, it's almost like when we talk about habits and then kind of destroying this one and implementing a new one, what did you discover that made you feel better? That wasn't the tied to the food. This is going to probably surprise some people, but I'm going to say it, it began with something as simple as brushing my teeth. Mm-hmm. So if we take one step back and we go, the real issue here was like, I, I, I felt angry at my body. I felt like it had betrayed me. I felt like it was the source of all of my unhappiness. Um, so uh, my coach asked me this question. I say it was a question that changed my life. He said, if you make a list of all the things you love and value, how far down that list do I go before I see your name? Mm, wow. <laughs> yeah. So, so wow. that question right there. For me, I was like, I'm not on the list. So he just, all of a sudden, I have to try and figure out like, one, come to terms with the fact that I wasn't even on the list of things I love and value. Here I'm being given permission to put myself on the list of things I love and value. How do I get there? How do I get myself up, you know, higher up on the list even? When most of my life I'd lived kind of like a martyr, I'll just set myself on fire to keep other people warm. Rooted in the story that I am not good enough or I am not enough as I am. So in that moment, it's it's not like everything shifted in that moment, but I had to start I had to start shifting this belief, this core belief that I am not enough as I presently am. Mm-hmm. And and so to bring it back to brushing my teeth, brushing my teeth was an act of self-care. It was an investment in myself. And when we try to understand how do we shift this deeply seated identity piece or belief that we hold about ourselves, 
well, it's probably not going to be a hallelujah moment, lightning bolt from heaven. Mm-hmm. It's actually, because our, bra- our brains can't handle that. That's too much change all at once. The only way that sort of dramatic change takes place is, is going through trauma. And I, and I went through trauma. And you, you don't want to, if, it's not something you ask for. Mm-hmm. Um, instead, we chip away at it piece by piece. So maybe I could paint a little picture for you. So if you were to go to a circus, I don't know, let's say 100 years ago, and you see the circus elephant there. And it's after the show, you sort of come around and, and you see outside the tent, here's this elephant tied to a fence post. And you're looking at this magnificent, you know, beautiful five-ton creature. Then it's just a beast. And you see it tied to this little fence post that's maybe four feet tall. And you're thinking, how is this, like, magnificent and powerful beast? Like, why doesn't he just rip it out of the ground and walk away? Well, what they did is when the elephant was an infant, when the elephant was, was a baby, they tied its leg to that fence post. And it would have tried and tried and tried to break free, but at that time it wasn't strong enough. And so it cultivated this belief that I am not strong enough to break free from this. And elephants have great memories. And that belief carries on into them becoming an adult. So wow. if we were to, mm-hmm. Right. So if we were to make this a human equivalent, maybe you've seen like a landscaping stake. Uh, it's like a one by two. It's maybe four feet long, little point on the end and an orange ribbon tied at the top. Imagine your leg is like tied to this landscaping stake. And you're just kind of walking in circles around it. So we could look at that. That's essentially like a behavior pattern on repeat. And somebody else would walk by and go like, why don't you just pull it out of the ground and walk away? <laughs> but in your head, because maybe you got attached to that belief at a very early age where you weren't strong enough and your brain was really impressionable, you weren't really understanding what was going on, you don't, you don't understand that you can break free from that. So the first thing is to do is take a tiny action, a tiny step away from that belief. So for me, my belief, my core belief was I am not enough. I am not good enough and I'm not worthy of self-love. So an action contrary to that was an investment in myself, brushing my teeth. And that's the equivalent to like that first step. You pull the stake out of the ground, but it's still attached to my leg. Every time I repeated that action, I'm taking another step away from that point until eventually the chain breaks and falls away. And so you can think about, because again, we, 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 in, in the pain that I was in, it's like I wanted to make it all go away instantly, but you can't. You have to go on this journey of growth. Mm-hmm. But I can tell you from the other side that it's immensely worth it. Mm-hmm. Wow. And especially when you're talking about the role, the role of the trauma in that, right? And like how you kind of painted this picture almost of like having, having this band-aid that you're putting on and kind of, okay, I can't see the problem anymore. It's under this thing and it might be fixed, but it's it's not in my clear vision Mm -hmm. right now. Right. But it's still there. So that kind of relates to emotional eating being like that bandaid, right? We're like, we're doing this to cover up this other thing that is going on or has happened that we, we, we start to have this sense inside of ourselves. Like we're something's wrong with me. Like I'm defective. Mm -hmm. I'm not like, like you said, worthy of love, valuable. And the example you gave of your coach asking you, where do you fall on this list of value? And you saying, I'm not even on the list and thinking inside of yourself that I don't even deserve to be on the list. And I won't ever deserve to be on the list. And I think that's so great. How you talk about that, ask that the habit of brushing your teeth and then, and then slowly continuing that and then building on more of those habits that are pouring into yourself. Cause I feel like like you, that, that I love that elephant example. I love, I love that because especially when you like you, it, it ties back to what you've been doing in your life for so long and you think, well, I don't know how to get, do anything else because this is kind of how I've been doing right. it and what's been going on. But that really gives so much clarity right there in terms of like when you're able to learn, like you said, self-compassion, that point that you brought up at the beginning of being able to tap into that and really teach yourself that and 
Wow. Just noticing. So like, what, what difference do you notice when you started doing that and going on this journey of having that, what did that do for you in terms of the emotional eating? Uh, it made, it made a huge shift, um, in, in a sense. And maybe we could take one step back here again and, and answer the question that people might have, like, why is it so hard to treat mm-hmm. yourself with, with self-compassion? Um, and, and so if, I say that awareness is the first step to change, and more importantly, compassionate awareness is is so crucial. And and maybe later we can touch on what, how I really define compassion as well. But the, the simple question of like, if, if we treated a friend the way that we treat ourselves, would we have any friends left? Mm-hmm. And so the, the crazy part is like, I could be abusive towards myself because I simply had to take it. I couldn't run away from myself. Mm-hmm. And so I would end up using myself as like a punching bag for all of my difficult emotions. Uh, also being male, I viewed self-compassion as weakness and really this fear of showing weakness, which was actually connected to my feelings of like worthlessness and, and, and lack of self-worth. So I think I was seeing compassion as something for someone else, not for me. But the, the flip side of this is also when we become self-compassionate, we actually become aware of our flaws and our mistakes. And that might bring up these sort of these painful memories or these feelings of shame. And I, I would say also, I think I had this fear that if I if I treat myself with compassion, I'm going to let myself off the hook and I'm never going to change. You know, so I think having that understanding of why we struggle with compassion, it goes back to all behavior makes sense. When, when we sort of realize where this is all rooted in, that's when we can start to, to create that change. And so because I like analogies and pictures, I'm like, I'll, I'll give you another example <laughs> so that we can understand what I mean when we're talking about compassion. Because compassion is not a, it's not a get out of jail free card. That's not what it's meant to be. So let's just say um, you struggle with um, drinking wine and uh, that's that's the, what you use to maybe mask your, your difficult emotions or feelings and things. So I bump into you, uh, you know, you're halfway down a bottle of wine and it's like a Tuesday night. And uh, <laughs> so now if I was your coach and I was coming to you and be like, you know, Paris, you should know better than this. Like, why are you doing this? There's already an element of shame and, and like judgment being brought into that and that will actually trigger this emotional retreat and I call it defensive brick wall. So immediately you've shut down and retreated and now moving forward, you're not going to be, you're not going to open up and share your struggles with me because you don't want to feel that shame. Mm-hmm. Now the, the flip side of that, the other extreme would be what we call enabling. So if I was like, hey, you're already halfway down this bottle of wine, you might as well finish it now. Well, that doesn't help you either because it's not moving you forward. So compassion really is, is, is walking the middle ground here and, and it's saying, hey, let's see what's going on here. And I'm going to hold space for you. And it, it sounds so cliche to say hold space, but there's such value. I say, let you wrestle with your demons in the light without judgment, mm-hmm. because we need that awareness to be able to figure out awareness is where we create change. So when we start to take some of these unconscious or subconscious behaviors and we bring them to our conscious awareness in a space where we're not going to be judged for it, then we can start to change. We can start to learn what are our triggers, what are the root drivers of this behavior and so on. Oh, yes. Oh my gosh. That is so powerful and so true because I feel like when you really are able to tap into that, it's almost like we talk about like the example you gave of wine, right? So any form of addiction that we have or any form of anything that we've had in the past that we've struggled with related to eating, related to food, related to mental health or whatever it may be, you know, kind of understanding you know, where did this come about? Like, where did this behavior start with the emotional eating? When did I start? Was I always this way? You know, what happened? And kind of letting that person know instead of being like, Hey, you know, like, why are you doing this? You know, like, you know, it's wrong. But then of course that brings out that shame. And now I feel bad because now I was called out and I know I shouldn't be doing it, but now I'm like, I don't want to open up anymore. But when you actually, you know, let that person know, Hey, 
Like I see you, like, like you said, hold space for you. And I love that because even though it sounds cliche, you're letting that person know that, Hey, I'm here in this moment. I'm giving, I'm going to give you my time, all my energy to let, to like dive into this with you and help mm. you kind of uncover and unpack this and really kind of get to the root of, you know, what root of this without making you feel like I'm judging you or I'm criticizing you or I'm making anything like that, you know, because we all have these things, you know, all of us as humans have something that we can go back to or pinpoint and say, you know, this point in my life, this, this happened or this impacted me or affected me. And this is what, you know, I did at the time to try to move forward or cope or deal with it. That wasn't necessarily healthy, but this is what I did to overcome it. We all have similar moments like that. So I feel like when we can lay it out like that, instead of coming from a place of, you know, like what's wrong with you, you know, like why, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. what do you do? Like, what is this? You know, come on, just like, stop eating so much, you know, just eat a little, you know, you know like, I feel like when you're able to tap into it that way, and, yeah. you know, really do that for this person. It does a lot because I feel like already this person is holding that inside of themselves and mm. they're already speaking so poorly to their own self. Yeah. So, you know, I, I say that it, like if beating yourself up was going to work, it would have worked by now. Yeah. Yes. Right. Oh, my <laughs> right. goodness. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so, so, so true. And, and we have these emotional blind spots as well. And I think this really highlights the power of, of coaching or connecting to like a qualified professional to get help with this. And there should be no shame in it. Um, I couldn't have accomplished this change and got to where I am now on my own. Well, maybe I could have, but it would have maybe taken 20 or 30 years. It, it dramatically short-circuited, you know, even though we say this process takes time and it takes longer than we want to because we've been sort of conditioned in this instant gratification culture, we still massively short circuit the amount of, of time required to start to create this transformation mm -hmm. um, because all of us have these emotional blind spots. And I feel like I should mention something because we're talking about weight loss and for people who struggle with sort of, you know, emotional eating and, and, and mental health and things like that, sometimes that can be a triggering thing to talk about um, because we connect to such a sense of judgment around it. But what I like to say to people is, is weight loss is a doorway. It's not a destination, right? So the truth is that for most people, like biologically speaking, we're going to improve our health if we if we lower our body fat percentage, right? But I mean, facts don't really change people's minds. Um, the, the truth is this is never really about a number on this scale, right? It's about quality of life. So we, we often assign a number to, to give us a tangible placeholder, but it just represents a future that we're visualizing, a future that we feel like we're going to be able to live in. You know, the, the words that I hear, like, I want to feel comfortable in my own skin. Uh, I, you know, I want to be able to shop in my closet again. You know, I have all these clothes that I used to wear. Um, I, I, I want to be like on the floor and play with my kids or my grandkids, that kind of stuff. And so really weight loss opens the door to, to being freer to do the activity you want instead of the one you wish sort of sitting on the couch. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I, I think also I should share this. Even though I've accomplished this and I've kept the weight off and so on, it's not like I'm without struggles. I'm still a human being. Mm -hmm. And and sometimes this idea, like I run a podcast called Between the Before and After, and we talk about like the human element of this this journey. Um, and so I have what I call an emotionally compelling reason. Uh, for me, it's my son. He's, he's a little over eight months old now. And uh, I love this kid to bits. Um, he is, but he's, he's a nonstop mover. Like mm -hmm. he was doing, you know, <laughs> 120 kicks an hour in the womb kind of thing like just <laughs> yeah. he just like hop on his bike and ride inside the womb like my poor wife trying to sleep and he would do so at three o'clock in the morning yeah <laughs> and he, he just from from like day one his limbs were just going non-stop now for me 
I'm like, this is a preview of what's to come. Mm-hmm. You know, he's just, he's just, he's just shifting from commando crawling to get up and on, onto his knees and crawling. And, but he is a nonstop mover. Now I'm, I'm 39 going on 40. So by the time I'm 50, he's going to be 10. And when I'm 60, he's going to be 20. I, I don't want people to be like, Hey, it's nice. You brought your grandpa to graduation. <laughs> but more importantly, like, I don't want to be a sideline dad. Mm-hmm. I don't want to have to sit on the couch and say, sorry, Bubba, I can't get on the floor and play with you because I can't mm-hmm. get up. So when I'm confronted with, with some of these urges and impulses that still show up, it's not like they're, now I navigate them differently. They're not nearly as powerful as they used to be, but they're still there because this stuff is really like wired deeply into the brain, especially after trauma. So let's just say I'm at Costco, you know, that, uh, and I see this big old bag of like, I don't know, sweet Maui onion potato chips, you know, this big <laughs> brightly colored bag. And my brain goes, oh my gosh, it'd be amazing to eat that entire bag of chips, right? Well, I don't know, binge watching something on Netflix. And then I look at my son in the cart and I'm like, mm-hmm. what kind of dad do I want to be? Wow. And mm-hmm. you, you weigh those two up and it's like my, my love for my son is so much greater than my desire to do that. So we recognize that logic doesn't really get us to... Um, change our behavior, but we really have to dive into the emotional component of it. So we're really now tapping into this part of our brain because we might think emotional eating like and, and having these strong emotions is a bad thing, but we can also we can also flip it around and use the other part of it as well. And so I call this finding our emotionally compelling reason why we want to do this. Mm-hmm. That can help us as we're trying to create this change. Wow. I I love that. And I love that example. I love the example. You give such great examples and analogies. I love when people do that and come on here because it's, it helps so much to be able to visually see something. And just all these descriptions yeah. you're giving are so helpful, especially when we're talking about emotional eating and then the trauma tied in with this and, and tying this in with mental health and all of this. And something I always love to ask everybody. And I always love to ask this question because I always get a different answer. And it's always so great to see what people think and have to have to bring to the table for this. So Jonathan, I'd love to ask you, so what are you currently doing right now in this moment in time to master your mental? I'm just slowing down my breathing. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm present. You know, it's like tapping into at least four out of my five senses. Well, we actually have more than five, but you know, so I'm, I'm, what am I feeling in the moment? You know, uh, what am I hearing? What am I, what am I smelling? You know, what does it feel like? My, you know, the bum in the seat of my chair, the, my arms on the armrest, that kind of thing. We, we live in a world that it just feels like it's trying to, like we're trying to drink from a fire hose, you know, mm-hmm. just this infinite stream of information that we could never even come close to trying to consume. And it's just picking up. So this ability to, to slow down and just be present in this moment, you know, I'm, I'm just present in this conversation. I'm not thinking about, you know, some grocery shopping or something I have to do. It's like be present with, and, and I've really tried to learn this, like with my son and with my wife and so on, is like whatever moment I'm in, you know, I, I, again, I use my son and like I'm watching him grow eight months from, from zero to eight months. There's so much change that happened. <laughs> I just, I just try to sit with him sometimes, just be present in that moment. So tapping all those senses, I think learning how to do that and, and living more consciously is really, um, something that helps us maintain these, these amazing transformations we can accomplish. That's amazing. Amazing. Just, I love that because everything you said right there is so right. You know, trying to drink from this fire hose or going back to, you know, things in the past or things we have to do or things in the near future and all of this, but when you can actually be there in that moment. And that's such a beautiful thing because it, it is, you know, being able to be there with your son and be in that moment and watch him. And especially when you're talking about this, 
like how, how change is happening so quickly and you're there and you're there for it. So I love that. That is such a great one. And Jonathan, I just want to thank you so much for coming out here on master mental and bringing such phenomenal tips to the table about this topic of emotional eating and about this, how this ties in with your story and your experiences and mental health and overcoming these things. Um, you brought so much helpful information to the table. It's going to be so valuable. I know people took, are going to take away so much value from this conversation. So thank you so much for being here and just coming out and doing this. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure. Yes. And you guys, whether you are listening during the daytime or the nighttime, I hope that you guys have a great rest of your day or nighttime. And on that note, I'm going to end it there and say bye to you guys and bye to Jonathan. So bye, Jonathan. See ya. All right, guys, that was the end of the episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed creating it for you. As always, if you guys would like to get in touch with me to become a guest or share your thoughts, you can do that in a number of ways. You can shoot me an email at hello at masteringmental.com or you can DM me on Instagram at masteryourmental where you can also find a link in my bio that you can use to find me on all of my other social media platforms. I hope you guys have a beautiful rest of your day and thank you so much for listening to the Master Your Mental podcast. Have a good one, guys. Bye.